forward to that. Let's stand together this morning. He rules in our hearts. We will sing Hosanna as well.
I believe the presence of God is here with us this morning, and we're glad he's here. Let's go to him in prayer. Mighty Father in heaven, we're so thankful that we can corporately come together, unitedly joining together to exalt you in word and in song, in giving, in prayer. Everything we're doing here this morning is for you and for your glory. May you be honored. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
strong, his mighty love. Oh, mighty God of love, be welcomed in this place. Ah. Uh-huh. 
saying this morning that you have the victory through the blood. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Let's go to him in prayer. Brother Paul Adams, would you word our prayer for us, brother? Amen. You may be seated.
you have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 12. Everyone's probably wondering about this stylish boot that I'm wearing on my left foot. No, I did not get beat up by my wife, as many have suggested. That would be more this area looking bad. She goes for the face, man. Now, I did exactly what my coach told me not to do at the gym on Monday and boogered up my ankle pretty bad. And so now I'm wearing this fashionable boot around until I get better. So y'all pray for me. John chapter 12 is where we're going to be today, continuing in our Easter, Easter series entitled Hope. This is a series on hope. Last week we talked about hope. We talked about how hope is not just wishful thinking. It's a lot more than that. The word that was used there for hope last week that we talked about was the phrase great expectation. That hope is more than just wishful thinking, but it's it's great expectations. And that as believers in Christ, when we think about the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his blood that was shed for me that we just sang about, and his resurrection from the grave, we know that, that wrapped up in all of that is more than just a wishful thought. But there's promises, there's guarantees, there are things that are sealed through Jesus Christ, and through him we have great expectations. We have a a sure and a true hope, and that's what we're going to talk about as we go through uh, this Easter season last week, this week, and next week on Easter Sunday when we talk about the resurrection. As we go through this Easter, the prayer is that the God of hope would bring hope to your Easter, because we know that we live in a world where hope seems to be dwindling. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of hope in our world today, and part of that is because we forget where hope should be placed. We forget where a sure hope should be rooted and instead we get caught up in placing our hope in the things of this world that are sure to let us down and so when circumstances and things such as that don't go our way we lose hope but I pray that the God of hope will give hope to all of us during this Easter season that we understand that through his sacrifice and through his resurrection we can have a true hope and we can understand where true hope comes from that hope is not about this life and this is not our final experience But there is something beyond this life, beyond the veil, beyond the curtain. We're going to step into an eternity one day, and we're going to step into a glory that's going to make all of this fade away. It's going to make our our life and and our trials in this world seem so insignificant, and we're going to realize where true hope is. And so that's what we've been talking about. Today's sermon is entitled, Regime Change. Regime Change. A couple of years ago in 2016, uh, Erica and I, we went on a cruise, had a great time. We got to go uh, spend a little time cruising around the Caribbean in a boat, and, uh, and, and, and we were on this cruise the first week of November of 2016, and the day that we came back, the day that we came back to shore was the first Tuesday of November. Does anybody know what happens on the first Tuesday of November? Does anybody know what happened on the first Tuesday of November in 2016? There was a big election that day. And, of course, if you remember that election, you had Hillary Clinton running against Donald Trump, and uh, that was the big thing. And and, and so uh, this is is when we were coming back into town. And so we had had been out on the cruise ship enjoying our vacation in the Caribbean, and and, uh, that last night, that Tuesday, we had enjoyed our time, and we had went out, and we would had a really nice dinner. We would had our last dinner on the boat, and then we had enjoyed the shows that they had. And, uh, and then we went and had dinner again, because when you go on a cruise, you have dinner, and then you have late dinner, right? Everybody knows that. 
And then finally we get back to the, the room. It's like midnight. And I thought, well, I'm going to flip on the TV and see what's going on with this election. And, of course, if you remember, everybody, all the polls and all of the, uh, the, the, the different media outlets, you know, everyone was sure that one candidate was going to win, that Hillary was going to win the election. And so that night we flip on the TV to see what's going on about midnight and we turn on to the only news source they had there on the ship uh, and it was CNN International and, and we looked and, and there was the, you know, your, 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 your anchors or whatever on the news and they were just looking at each other with this dumbfounded look. And it was just... We're like, okay, what's going on here? And, you know, wherever you land politically, whoever you were for in that election and voted for and whatever you wanted to see happen, I think everyone would agree that that night there was some political history that was made, that there was this guy, this, you know, Donald Trump was elected, and, 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 and years and years from now, they'll still talk about that election for multiple reasons, uh, because, you know, None of the polls showed him winning. None of the media outlets thought he was going to pull it off, and he did. Uh, I thought it was interesting how everyone, there was no way he was going to win Florida, which was the key swing state, and he won Florida. And, 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 and so it was, this, you know, the, it was this political outlier that happened that night that took everyone by surprise. And so everyone woke up on Tuesday, November the 6th, 2016, convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election and then on Wednesday the 7th, everyone woke up surprised, right? And what did, was the one thing that, again, it didn't matter if you were on the right or the left, if you were a Democrat or a Republican, if you voted for him or you voted for her, it really didn't matter. I think we all agreed after that happened that there was going to be a regime change, that things were about to be a lot different, right? And so, so, so we saw that kind of take place, and and that's really what, what, what transpired that day. It was a regime change. When we talk about a regime change, I think we can get the idea of what that means. We all understand what it means to have some type of regime change. But to help you out, I want to define this for you. And if you're keeping notes, a regime is this. It's a ruling or prevailing system. That's what a regime is. A regime is a ruling or a prevailing system. And so uh, when we have elections in America, when a new president comes into office, we have a new ruling or a new prevailing system, especially when you have a year like 2016, when not only do you get a new president or a new candidate in the White House, but you also have a shift in party, right? You have a new ruling or a new prevailing system. This is what a regime is. So a regime change would be when there's a shift or a change in that ruling or prevailing system. Now, what's interesting about that is depending on where you are, you can perceive that as good or as bad. When we think about the election in 2016, many saw it as good. Others saw it as bad. When we think about uh, uh, any kind of shift in government, right, when there's a regime change, some see it as good, some see it as bad. You know, we would, uh, and this can apply to any prevailing or ruling system uh, in any type of government or organization. Sometimes when there's a, a coaching change at a, at a team, right, we say there's been a regime change. Uh, I know that uh, this morning we laughed about how there's many that would love to see a regime change with the Dallas Cowboys, right? 
Personally, I think that Arkansan's doing just fine. Y'all stay off his back. But some would like to see that regime go and an old regime or a new regime ushered in, right? But we love that sometimes when it fits into our perception. We love a good regime change when it, we think it's going to benefit the whole or benefit us. And then other times when there's regime changes that don't fit into what we desire or what we want to see happen, then we perceive it as bad. But a regime change in and of itself is really just a shift in ruling or prevailing systems. Now, to have context to what we're going to talk about in John 12 today, you have to realize that at the time that the New Testament was written, during the time of Jesus, Israel longed for a regime change. They wanted a regime change because what had happened is the Romans and the Roman society had, had, had moved in, had set up shop, had used military might to, in essence, take over that entire region, including Judah and the land of Israel, and, and they, had, um, they had instituted their own government systems and their own government policies on the people of Israel. Who, uh, who up until that point had very uh, had 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 governed themselves through their own religious political system, and now uh, now Rome was in charge, and the people didn't like it very much, and they wanted a regime change. There was a lot of differences in opinions on how that should come. For example, you had the Pharisees who were very legalistic, right? Who were very religious, and they believed that if Israel could just keep the whole law, if all of Israel could just keep the whole law for a day, for a day then God would miraculously move like he had maybe at times in the past when Israel was under captivity. And then he would move and he would, he would sweep in and he would do something miraculous so that they could overcome or, 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 pre, or push out, push away the, the Roman Empire and they could once again govern themselves. And then you had those like the Zealots. And the Zealots believed that, that if, if, we could, uh, uh, if we could just rise up, we just got to do it. We just got to rise up and fight. We've got to do everything we can to end this. But one thing that they did agree on is that they desired a regime change, a regime change. Now, during this time when this was going on, there was this man named Jesus. And Jesus started out with humble beginnings, and he got his ministry started with not a lot of fanfare. But by the time you get to John chapter 12, three and a half years into his ministry, Jesus had become that of folk legend, right? This guy, was he was traveling all around the land, the land of Galilee and of Judah and, and Israel and Samaria, and Jesus was doing all these wonderful things. He was teaching these amazing truths, and not only that, but he was healing people, right? And they had watched the lame walk again. They had seen the blind see. They had watched him cast demons out of people who were possessed and mad, and they had actually seen him heal people, and raise people from the dead. And so they heard the legends of how he fed 5,000 people with a lunch and he walked on water. And, and so this was who he was. And so by the time we get to John 12, Israel is yearning for a regime change. And here comes Jesus, this guy who seems invincible and powerful, and, 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 and he had these abilities beyond human understanding, right? And so it, it would stand to reason that the desire that existed in Israel and what the folks were seeing in Jesus, that these could come together and Jesus could be the person, the one, the leader for this regime change that they so longed for. And so when we pick up in the story, that's where we are. They thought, 
that Jesus was it, that he was the one that was going to change it all. He was the guy that was going to bring the change. Jesus was coming to usher in this new kingdom, this new regime, and out with the Romans, out with the old, and in with the new. And so there's two things I want us to understand as we jump into this passage today. Number one, Jesus did indeed come to usher in a new regime. Jesus came to usher in a new regime. And and I want us to understand this because when we begin reading, there's some things here that don't really add up with what Israel was longing for. But Jesus did come indeed to usher in a new regime. Look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. It says, the next day, and by the way, the next day was the day after Jesus uh, was anointed at Bethany, the next day. It says, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. Think about that. I mean, this guy, he was, he was it. He was what everyone was talking about. He was the topic of the day. Very few conversations probably took place that didn't uh, include Jesus. If you met someone out on the road or along the way, you might ask them, but have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus? I heard he passed through your town. Did you see him? Were you there? Have you laid eyes on him? What does he look like? Did you see him healed? Did you see a miracle? I mean, people were clamoring to know this Jesus, to see this Jesus. Whether they believed in him as the Savior or the Messiah or not, they wanted a piece of him. They wanted to know. And so the next day, there's this news that starts spreading around Israel that Jesus was on his way. Now, this was the week of the Passover. And so not only did Jerusalem have its regular residence being the largest city in the region, but all of these people from throughout the area had traveled into Jerusalem. People would travel uh, from far around, from as far as Africa and, and Asia and, and, and parts of southeastern Europe. They would travel into Israel, all of these Jews, so that they could participate in the Passover feast. It was actually expected uh, that a Jew would at least travel to Jerusalem once in their life, make a pilgrimage during the Passover. And many faithful Jews did it every single year. So the city was full of people, not just the inhabitants, but all of the guests. It was hustling and it was bustling. People were everywhere. And the news starts spreading around the city that Jesus is on his way, that he's coming to Jerusalem. And it says that this swept through the city, right? So this was this was spreading fast. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So the people, they, they flood out of the city and they flood into the neighboring uh, uh, roads that lead into Jerusalem. And they're looking for him and they're watching for Jesus because he's on his way. Verse 13. And it says in verse 13 that, that, that as, they, as they saw him coming and as he's entering in the road, that they took palm branches. And Jimmy read this uh, from the other gospel a moment ago. But they took the palm branches and they went out to meet him. And they shouted, Hosanna. Now the palm branches, you have to understand that this was, this was typically the type of reception that a king would receive when he came back into his kingdom. They would wave the palm branches and then they would use the palms and they would use the robes and they would line the road into the city. And, and we can compare that today. This is like, a, uh, this is like a, a dignitary's entrance. So like today we would roll out the red carpet, right? If someone important came, we would roll out the red carpet and we would prepare the way and they would get this royal treatment. This is basically what this was. By laying down their coats and laying down the palm branches, they were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. And as they rolled out the red carpet and he rode into town, it says that they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. We sang 
Hosanna just a moment ago as we started our worship service today. But you should know what that word means because it's an important word. The word Hosanna, in its simplest form, it means to save or to rescue. When you would put that on someone else, when you would cry out to someone, you would call them Hosanna, you're saying you're the Savior or you're the Rescuer. Now, there's several words that were used for Savior or Rescuer uh, in the Bible times, but this one particularly took with it the idea of a conquering Savior or a conquering Rescuer or a victorious Rescuer. So they were saying to Jesus, you are Savior, you are Rescuer, but more than that, you are the conquering Savior, you are the conquering Rescuer. And so what they were crying out to Jesus is, you have come to claim victory and conquer and save us from this old regime, from this regime of the Romans. And so as they cried out to Jesus that day, their expectation was is that he would roll into town, that he would use this miracle work and power that he had, and he would defeat the Romans, he would kick them out, he would be the victorious conqueror, he would set his, his throne up in the temple just like David did, and he would rule over all of Israel from the temple as a king in the same way and manner that David did when he was the king. That's what they longed for. And so they cried out, Hosanna. Our conquering Savior has arrived. Savior, Rescuer, you are here. Hosanna. Hosanna is the in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is God's messenger. He is God's Hosanna sent to us to finally save us from this regime. They wanted a regime change. They didn't want a Caesar anymore. They wanted a king. So they said, blessed is the king of Israel. What's interesting is when, when, when Rome, when Caesar took control of Israel, he didn't take away their king. They had a king. His name was Herod. He was key in having Jesus crucified. But you see, that king didn't change a regime. No, that king actually married himself to that regime. So they saw this other one. They said, man, kick them all out. And blessed is the king of Israel. Verse 14. The Bible says that Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it. He fulfilled the prophecy, verse 15, that says, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. And his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and they realized that these things had been written about him. So Jesus rides into town on this donkey. Just By the way, coming in on a young colt, a young donkey's colt, was also the way a king would enter. This was all royal treatment. And Jesus rides into town just as the prophecy had been written. They wanted a regime change, and Jesus, he came to bring one. And when he showed up, they thought it was exactly what they were looking for. And Jesus did come to usher in a brand new regime. But, point number two, it was not the regime that the people expected. It was not the regime that the people expected. Man, the people, they wanted him to conquer it all. They wanted him to kick out those Romans and set up that throne. They wanted him to to use all that power he had, and they were willing to get behind him and fight with him because they knew that God was on his side. They had heard the stories. They had seen the miracles. They were like, man, this guy's got it. He's got what we need. We're safe with him, and he's going to usher in the new regime. But this was not the regime that Jesus brought. It was not the regime they expected because the problem was is what they did is they took the things that they had heard about Jesus, but they applied them specifically to their situation. And they tried to to, uh, take the prophecy of the Old Testament and they tried to understand it in the context of their today. You know, sometimes we try to do that. 
We try to take Jesus and we try to we try to make Jesus like a Stretch Armstrong doll, right? And we pull and we tug and we try to make Jesus fit our situation instead of us fit Jesus' situation. Instead of us fitting into exactly what Jesus says about our lives, about who he is, about what he wants to do, we want Jesus to come mold himself into our desires and fit our situations. And instead of using Jesus to get ourselves through or out of our situations, we want Jesus to come into our situations and just kind of, you know, be our king there. But that's not how a kingdom works. We don't get to dictate to the king how his kingdom functions, about how his regime should should benefit my life. No, the king dictates to us what the kingdom's going to look like. And so it was not the regime that the people expected. So Jesus begins to tell them about this in verse 23. Look down uh, down the page a little bit to verse 23 because these these people they're talking to Jesus and 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 they um, so they go and they have this conversation with Jesus and Jesus replies in verse 43 to these Greeks and he says, "Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory." Now, if you just stop there, the people might think that Jesus is talking about His kingdom. That his glory would be his throne, right? But this is not what Jesus meant at all. And he made himself very clear. Because he goes on, he begins to tell them exactly what he means about his glory through a parable. And here's what he says in verse 24. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. So Jesus is comparing himself to this kernel of wheat. And he's telling them, he's using this illustration to talk about his death, that he's come to die. And he says, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new life. What is he saying there? Well, think about it. A, a, A kernel of wheat is like a seed, right? And if one seed falls to the ground, what happens? It can grow a new plant. And from that one seed can 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 come a plant that is capable of producing many, many more seeds year after year after year, which those seeds in turn can fall into the ground and make even more seeds, right? It's multiplicated. And so Jesus, he, he's explaining to them through this parable that his kingdom, his regime is not about a throne. It's about a cross, right? It's not about glory. It's about a grave, but it's also about a resurrection, it's about a kingdom that's not of this world. And so he's, he begins to tell them this story and to show them this illustration. And he, he tells them in verse 25, he says, those who love their life in this world, in other words, you're just concerned about the kingdoms of this world. And if all you care about is your life in this world, if you love your life in this world, and those who will care nothing uh, in this world, they're going to lose it. That if, if all you care about is your life in this world, it's going to come to an end. He says, but those who care nothing for their life in this world. In other words, they look beyond this world and they understand and they see this from an eternal perspective when I'm trying to teach. He says those those will will keep it for eternity. In other words, Jesus came to usher in a kingdom that was not temporary but was eternal. And the people that got behind that kingdom, not not the kingdom that they wanted in Israel, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom for eternity, that these people, they would be able to enter into a kingdom that lasted forever and ever and ever. This is hope. That's real hope. Verse 26. He says, And anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, 
and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And, of course, he's saying this as he's predicting his death. Now, it's not on the screen, but he goes on in this, this passage, and um, he says, he, he, he actually goes into a prayer next. And he says, man, my soul is troubled. He said, God, my soul is troubled by this. I know what i got to do. I know i got to give up my life. But, hey, as a man, Jesus, he was stressed out by the events that were going to take place over the next week. He said, but this is the reason I came. He understood his purpose. He didn't come to set up a kingdom, the kind of kingdom they expected. He understood what he had come to do. And he said, so, Father, get glory through this. He basically says in verse 28, Lord, may this bring glory to your name. May you be glorified through this. May you get the glory from what's about to happen. Now, all of this takes place, and then we move down to verse 34 as he's, he has this conversation. And then verse 34 is really revealing. The crowd responded. Look what it says. The crowd, they hear all this, and they said, Well, we understood from Scripture that the, the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? Now, now notice what they're saying here, because, hey, they understood what Jesus was talking about, right? Jesus made it clear to them through this parable and what he said after that, that it comes to a point where this crowd, they're like, okay, wait a minute. We thought this guy was coming in town to set up his kingdom now, right? But but he's telling these he's going to die, and this just doesn't add up with, with what we thought, right? And so they say, but, but we understood, according to the Scripture, that the Messiah would live forever. Well, they're part right. They're partially right. Because there is a lot of Scripture that tells us that the Messiah is eternal that the Messiah would last forever, that his kingdom would have no end, right? But we also know that there's prophecy in, in Psalms and, and in Isaiah 53 that also told us that the Messiah would suffer and that the Messiah would die. And so both of those prophecies are there. So they got part of it right, but they missed the other part. And if they understood the, the, the fullness of the prophecy, they would understand that the Messiah had to die as the sacrifice for mankind, that he was the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, right? It says that. They would understand that truth. And so they say to him, they say, how can you say that you're going to die? We thought the Messiah would live forever. And then they say, just who is this son of man anyway? Notice what they're saying there. They're saying, we, don't, we no longer believe you're him. We thought you were him, but now you're saying you're going to die, so we don't actually believe you're him anymore. Because Jesus came in to usher a kingdom in a regime that was not what the people expected. Verse, 30, uh, verse 35. Jesus replied, and he says, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. And those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. He says, Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become the children of the light. And after saying these things, Jesus went away, and he was hidden from them. Now, I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and we're going to prepare for invitation. And I want you to think on these words for just a moment with me. Because Jesus calls him to this light, and he predicts his death. He says, but yet, you come to the light, you're going to receive eternity. He says, I, I've come to bring this eternal kingdom. For many of us, we're in the same place that they were. And some of us, we might not even know it. That, that we might be in a place where, where we're, we're expecting Jesus to come to our, to kind of our perception of what we want Jesus to do. That maybe we've set up our own kingdom, 
that we've got a desire for how we want our kingdom to look and we want our life to be. And we say, Jesus, you know, we want you to be the king. We want you to come into our regime and we want you to do it the way that we think you should do it. And man, when we do that, we miss the good that Jesus is trying to bring to our lives. Jesus wants to change our regime. Jesus wants to change the the system of power in our lives. And for some of us, it's it's perception. For some of us, that we perceive that somehow a regime change in our own life with Jesus is a bad thing. And it's not. I can assure you today that when you get behind that regime, there's nothing but good that comes from it. For some of us, we're living in our own regime and by our own way. And spiritually, we're, we're dependent on things that are anything but Jesus. Maybe we think that it's our goodness that will somehow find favor with God. Maybe we think we deserve it. Maybe we think that we're good enough or we're not as bad as them. And what we do is we, we find somebody that's just a little bit more sinful than we are. And we play the comparison game and we set ourselves up against that. And we say, see, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Maybe we, we're trying, we're on that hamster wheel. We're just, we're trying to do more good, do more good. And we feel like we're running in place. Man, we're spinning. For some of us, it's, you know, we're throwing it on the scale. Man, I did more good than I did bad today, so maybe I'm scale's tipping the same way. And I can tell you those are all faulty regimes. Those are regimes that are going to leave you empty and dead. And just like Jesus told those Greeks when he said, look, if that's what you're dependent on, it, all you got is this life. And when it comes to the end, it's over. That's what you're looking at. So maybe for somebody here, it's time for a regime change. It's time that the ruling factor in your life is no longer your own selfishness, no longer your own desires, no longer your own ideas, no longer your own flesh, but instead you give it to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm going to let you take control of my life. You come to that light and you have the life that he says is eternal. Because we're going to learn next week that they weren't wrong. The Messiah would live forever, but he also had to die. But three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering death and giving victory over the grave. And when he conquered death, when he gave victory over the grave, you know what he became? He became Hosanna in the highest. He was the conquering, victorious rescuer and savior. But they didn't get it. They thought it was a kingdom of this world, and it's not. It's a kingdom of of eternity. It's a kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom without end. And so today in your own life, what kingdom are you a part of? Are you living in this world? Are you living in your own flesh? Are you living in your own kingdom? Or is it time for a regime change there's hope in jesus there's hope in his regime and i pray today that you'll turn to that let's stand together if god's dealing with your heart in any way i want to invite you this invitation is a time for you to come you come